I'm Lauren Hansen, multimedia editor at theweek.com, and today I'd like to share some fun and interesting facts that I learned while reading the internet this week. If you love dogs as much as I do, then you will have hugged your fair share. But this week I learned that hugging dogs is basically the worst way to show your affection. Dogs hate hugs. And if you love your dog, you'll stop hugging your dog too. You see, dogs are what experts call cursorial animals. That means that they are designed for swift running. If they feel stressed or threatened, they'll flee. If they can't flee, they'll probably bite. When we humans hug a dog, trap them in our arms, we take away their first line of defense. We increase their levels of stress and the risk for bites. While there is evidence that hugging between humans is important to emotional growth and bonding, there is a key factor to remember here. Dogs are not humans, and they don't respond in the same way. Now, a dog wears his stress openly, and you can pinpoint the signs if you know what you're looking for. The most common sign of anxiety is when a dog turns his head away from whatever is bothering him. He might even close his eyes, at least just partially. Another sign is when he looks doe-eyed, like you can see the whites of his eyes around the corner of the rim. Or his ears are lowered or slicked against the side of his head. Interestingly, things that we might misconstrue as affection are actually signs of stress, including lip licking or licking a person's face, or yawning or raising a paw. Researchers actually analyzed 250 photos of people hugging dogs that were just available on the internet, and they found that nearly 82% of the dogs in those photos showed at least one sign of stress. So, instead of a suffocating person hug, the next time you want to express your fondness for your beloved pet, try a pat on the head, or a kind word, or even a treat. So I love my dog as much as I love you. The you may fade, my dog will always come through. If you've ever slept really terribly the first night you're on vacation or staying at a new place, you're not alone. This terrible, weird, half-awake, half-asleep state is called the first night effect, and it affects a ton of people, even those who are young and healthy and don't have chronic sleep problems. Scientists have known about the phenomenon for about 50 years, but they're now beginning to explore the evolutionary function. Using a super small study of just 11 volunteers, researchers recently looked at the participants' brain activity while they slept in one place for two nights. They were looking at slow wave activity in the brain, which is associated with deep sleep, and they found it to be significantly weaker in the left half of the volunteers' brains, but only on the first night. On another round of testing, they found that the left hemisphere was more responsive to infrequent beeps, but not steady ones, on the first night as well. And this has helped scientists to come up with a theory for this first night effect. This asymmetry in the brain is an adaptive response that scientists believe provides us with some protection when sleeping in a new environment. This allows humans to better respond to unusual sounds, smells, or signs of danger. And it's actually something that animals do as well, though theirs is much more pronounced. Whales, dolphins, and many birds can sleep with just one half of their brains at the time, while the other half stays awake and its corresponding eye stays open. 
When fur seals, for example, sleep in the water rather than on land, they sleep on one side with their eye open and looking down, perhaps to watch for sharks. And ducks that sleep on the edge of a flock sleep more asymmetrically than those in the safer center. Now, of course, this research won't change the fact that you're still probably going to get a crappy night's sleep next time you stay at a hotel, but at least now you know you're not alone. Didn't sleep a wink last night Cause you walked out the night before This week I learned some really fantastic, helpful news for those of us who want to exercise but are really, really short on time. According to a recent study, one minute of all-out exercise may be equivalent to 45 minutes of moderate exercise. Now, yes, sure, there have been many studies that have touted the surprising benefits of weirdly short 4, 6, 7, 10 minutes worth of interval exercise, but this study is probably the most scientifically rigorous comparison to date of super short and more standard workouts. So this study looked just at men. Women will be studied at a later date. Researchers recruited 25 out-of-shape men and measured their aerobic fitness, their body's ability to use insulin properly to regulate blood sugar levels, and even measured their muscle function on a cellular level. Then they randomly split the men into three groups. The first group, the control group, was to continue doing what they were already doing, which was basically nothing. The second group began a typical endurance workout routine. They rode a stationary bike at the lab at a moderate pace for 45 minutes. They also did a two-minute warm-up and a three-minute cool-down. The third group did the most abbreviated workout. They warmed up for two minutes on a stationary bike, then they pedaled as hard as possible for 20 seconds, then rode at a very slow pace for two minutes, then pedaled as hard as possible for 20 seconds, then rode at a very slow pace for two minutes, and then sprinted all out one last time for 20 seconds before cooling down for three minutes. The entire workout lasted 10 minutes with only one minute of that time being really strenuous. The groups did their exercises three times a week for 12 weeks, and at the end of it, when the scientists measured the men's aerobic fitness and all the rest, they found that the two wildly different exercises showed virtually identical gains. In both groups, endurance increased by nearly 20%, insulin resistance improved significantly, and muscle function got a boost. I don't know about you, but I am pumped about this new study and look forward to sweating it out for a very short amount of time. Passwords may be the bane of our modern technological existence. There are too many. They are too simple. They seem downright useless and stopping hackers anyway. There have been some improvements like the fingerprint technology on my iPhone, but now some scientists are upping the security ante and working on new methods that use biological markers to solve security solutions. Some methods in development aim to use your vein patterns or your brain waves as your unique password. But the craziest sounding new method is coming out of Germany, where scientists are developing a system that uses the sound of your skull. Now, I don't know about you, but I was not aware that my skull made any such noise. But apparently, if an ultrasonic signal is flashed at your head, 
your skull can create a slight variation that is unique to you and may one day be the simple key to unlock your email or get into your office. So you see, the way your tissues, cartilage, and fluids fit into your skull is unique to you than the person next to you. And even the slightest difference in the composition of those elements produces a sound wave-like fingerprint. Of course, early designs for this skull sound device require some sort of headset or accessory, and scientists are actually working with a Google Glass-style device to get you logged in. But eventually, scientists see this kind of technology being included in your average smartphone. So in the future, you won't even need to touch the phone pad to answer a call. You'd simply have to put your phone up to your ear and it would unlock by the unique code of your skull structure. And though the early tests have been very small, a sample size of only 10 people, they've been successful. The skull sound system was able to identify the correct user 97% of the time. Now, there's still plenty this new system has to surmount, including how to deal with background noise. But when you can unlock your phone with the sound of your skull, you'll know the future has arrived. And that does it for this week's episode of This Week I Learned. If you'd like to read more about any of the facts I've mentioned, you can go to our site at theweek.com audio. And if you'd like to listen to more from this series or any of the week's podcasts, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to encourage you to rate our podcasts on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening.